Would you imagine that one of the top questions or top uh, subjects searched on a website curated for pastors is about sabbaticals? Would you believe that one of the other top questions is a question about the methods Jesus used in preaching? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. The podcast explores the questions of life and faith and thinking theologically from the vantage point of pastors or those who do pastoral or involved in pastoral ministry. Could be a lay pastor, uh, ordained pastor, a staff person, or really someone who's interested in those conversations. And we welcome you uh, and hope this provides a helpful resource for you. And remember, um, we've got a, a back catalog uh, of a lot of uh, podcasts that might be of interest to you. If you're just discovering us, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcatcher. And uh, if you find us helpful, we'd, we'd love uh, a rating. Uh, give us a four-star, five-star, five-star write right review. We'd appreciate it. Uh, today on the podcast, I'm excited to have Marty Duran. Marty has been a friend for uh, quite some time. We originally met online. And then over the last uh, 13 years or so, we have uh, uh, met in person for one reason or another at various locations around the country. And most recently, uh, he was in town to speak at uh, an event at a local hospital at a conference for one day conference for clergy. And he came in early to to hang out and preach at uh, Snow Hill. And uh, we took an occasion to do a live podcast right there in the office. So uh, stay tuned, uh, give it a listen, and then let's uh, have a conversation uh, about the discoveries he's made as he's curated a website specifically for pastors at pastors.com. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, a podcast where we uh, talk about the intersection of life, faith, and uh, thinking theologically uh, or reflecting theologically. And uh, Today, I'm pretty excited that uh, I get to do an interview in the Inner Sanctum. That's what we call the second office, the uh, library office here, the place where every now and then I confess to hiding out. And uh, my friend Marty Duran is in town, and he's speaking at an event. Invite him to come in early, and he preached for us yesterday on Romans 14, did a great job, and I thought, well, let's do a live thing. And uh, no, we don't have an audience we don't have a crowd track. We have the audience of one. We have the audience of one. Yes, we do. <laughs> and so uh, I thought I'd just take an opportunity because sometimes uh, we need to kind of know what resources are available and maybe some insights learned from someone who curate, curates a website for uh, pastors uh, that provides resources and articles and um, a host of things. So uh, Marty is... Uh, well, Marty, what is what is that official uh, title? I mean, when I when I texted you that, you you called yourself a monitor lizard, and <laughs> I just don't actually think that works very well. Um, but uh, but when so I bite you, you get a lot of bacteria. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So <laughs> so so what is what is your uh, role at Lifeway? What's your title? What what are, what what does all that entail? My official title is executive editor and marketing manager of Lifeway Pastors, and that's the website lifewaypastors.com. Uh, I just usually refer to myself as the executive editor because it's that's the majority of what I do. Um, so my responsibility is to uh, work with content producers uh, like yourself to do original articles, occasionally um, an article that they had published on their own blog if it makes sense and enough time has lapsed, book reviews, which you've done several of, uh, and a podcast called Pastor Talk <coughs> uh, with the goal of the with the target audience of pastors and other church leaders. So it's not just the lead pastor. It could be a staff pastor or a you know, chairman of deacons, lay leadership. You know, I think there's enough on the site that, that almost anyone that's in leadership in church could benefit from it. Um, I've been doing it for a little over a year. Uh, I think I started August 1st of last year was my official start date on this particular assignment. Uh, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. I have some great, great contributors and good feedback. Um, We've been able to keep the comment threads from turning into a melee. Uh, <laughs> That's a chore. Is, which is, yeah, that is a chore. Uh, so it, it really does speak to, I think, the, uh, the readers are looking for something that benefits them, not just something to argue about. Right. 
Well, you know, um, I know prior to this assignment, you you did a lot with uh, social media, and uh, in that you would have uh, been probably responsible to kind of track uh, for different um, channels, if you will, there at Lifeway, uh, uh, what was successful, what caught people's attention. So I would imagine you evaluate a little of that related to the the website. So what seems to be the most popular uh, or commonly um, read or used resource? If I had to uh, just spitball it, I would say the certainly in the top five most frequent frequently visited post on the site is the one about uh, pastor retreats and getaways. Uh, people, pastors, it appears, <laughs> if search engine results are any indication, they are always looking for uh, a place to get away. Yeah. So if it's a retreat center or a cabin or like Ridgecrest mm-hmm. Conference Center, um, it's it's every single day. I'm not talking about you know a couple times a week or a spurt of ten. I mean it's every single day that that page gets traffic and links outbound links from that page are clicked every single day. The second or one of the one of the I would say this is also in the top five is an article that's several years old. Uh, how to pray for a mission team? Wow! Like eight ways <clears throat> to pray for a mission team or something like that. I've never even read the article. It just fascinates me that of all the things that people are searching for online, they're searching for how to pray, how to best pray for a mission team. Huh. Wow. So, you know, I wouldn't be, be surprised if some people go to that, they print it off, they hand it out of their church for their sure. team as they're gone or something like that. Um, but it's, it, the site's been up long enough now. It predates me, obviously. It's been up long enough now that it's indexed in a lot of search engines. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so these articles get a lot of traffic on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> and there was another one, something about pre... Oh, uh, there's one called um, Preaching the Way Jesus Did or something like that. Seven Ways Jesus Preached That You Can Too or something like that. Gets a lot of traffic. So apparently people are looking for how to how to communicate in the same way that Jesus communicated. Mm-hmm which is, again, very interesting to me that people go to search for that subject matter uh, looking for an article that would steer them uh, in that way. So that's kind of, I mean, that's got, it's kind of broad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, on an ongoing basis, if I were to go month to month, those three that pop into my mind is, is certainly in the top five of articles that are read ongoingly on that site. Well, let's take a, let's take a couple of those um, just to tease them out a little bit. Uh, when I think first of uh, pastors looking for, or staff members mm-hmm. looking for a, a, a retreat, a place to get away or mm-hmm. a getaway, you know, um, <clears throat> you and I are, are uh, near the same age. You, you had a, a long tenured pastorate um, before you went to Lifeway. And um, in our earlier years, there wasn't a lot of um, emphasis put on a sabbatical mm-hmm. or, or a prolonged period mm-hmm. of retreat or refreshment. Um, what what um, are, are you seeing more, that, that be more and more kind of the thing? And maybe rather than just uh, pastors looking for a new idea of somewhere to go, they're, they're maybe looking for a place that could give them a protracted or prolonged kind of getaway. Is that? Um, I think it's a combination. Uh, I mean, when you're when you're young in the ministry, you don't ever think you need to rest. For the most part, I mean, you just go and go and go and go and go, and right. then you take a vacation in the summer, uh, which is terribly unhealthy. But it is what we do, right. uh, tend to do. Um, as we get older, we realize. I think we start realizing the value of rest. At least whether we do it or not, we realize we should be doing it mm-hmm. in, in a way that we didn't when we were younger. <clears throat> uh, it does seem to me, and I think this is an exceptionally good thing that more churches are creating sabbatical times for their pastors, anywhere from five, every five to seven years. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're in leadership in your church and maybe that's fallen to you, I would suggest every five years. Hmm. Um, I know seven probably seems like the number of perfection or something like that, <laughs> or you know the crops in the Old Testament or something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but as a pastor, uh, both have been full-time and bivocational. Uh, I think five years is, is the mark. Uh, and at least three weeks, if not a month, uh, not don't don't make your pastor come to you and beg for a two week sabbatical because the first week barely even counts. Yeah, um, we went on. 
we've been extremely busy for about the last two years, uh, personally in in our family, <clears throat> lots of stuff going on. And this year, the first night of my vacation, I slept for eleven hours. And I've never, I mean, I can't remember from the time that I was a teenager on, you know, sinus medicine, sleeping for 11 hours. And I realized at that point, wow, I was, I'm really more fatigued than I realized that I am. So that was kind of an eye opening thing for me. And it's, it's, it's kind of convinced me to be more intentional about taking a Sabbath more Mm -hmm. regularly. Mm which is one of the most guilt-inducing commandments, I guess, that God ever gave was to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And, you know, you're laying around doing nothing right. and feeling guilty every moment that you're not reading a book to make yourself better or texting somebody to encourage them or something like that, all of which defeats the purpose of, of a rest, you know. Right. So, um, so I do think that people are searching for both the short, the weekend, at a, you know, maybe a reduced rate, they can get something, or an off-season, they get a reduced rate. Uh, some of these places, I think, maybe even offer up to a week at, you know, 60% off or something like that. I mean, it's it's a really fair deal, yeah. it seems to me. And some of them are free, not many, but some of them are free if you're in full-time ministry. Um, but just the awareness that we've got to slow down yeah. periodically and give both our body, our bodies, not both, but all our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our spirits, a chance to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we tend to live, uh, I guess, in what would uh, maybe it would best be called just personal pollution. If you think about breathing, uh, you know, the pictures from Beijing or the pictures from New York in the early 70s, uh, how it was just smog everywhere in Los Angeles. You know, you know you don't want to live in that because of what it does to your lungs and your body. I really do think we live in, you know, maybe you call it white noise or auditory confusion or whatever, just the, the abundance of information. There, There is a type of pollution, I think, that we live in that only rest and pulling ourselves away from it gets us to where we can be consistently healthy. So I'm thankful that pastors are considering the need and that churches are starting to respond better to that. So even if you're in a small church and you've got that one guy, so I don't know why the pastor, the preacher ought to get, you know, a month off besides his vacation, stand in the gap and explain why they need a month off. It's because of you that he probably should get a sabbatical every year. <laughs> yeah, says the guy who's not pastoring right now. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, the, one of the connections that I think we need to make is, is just, a, just the reality that the um, – uh, inability or the lack of considera- consideration for a time off or time away actually works towards sort of an idolatry. It, 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 it places on us or it draws from something within us. Either one, uh, the fear that, that we may not be needed as much mm-hmm. if, we can, if we can take uh, off that amount of time. And then secondly, that it betrays the notion that... that um, we actually, as human beings, require rest, mm-hmm. and that to continue a, at such a pace and such a rate actually is to say to the Creator, "Yeah, I think you messed up when you made me. I'm one of those special people mm-hmm. that don't need any rest." And then at some point, you suffer the consequences of that. What are some of the What are some of the things that you would think someone ought to look for in their own life? To to that that may they may maybe a young guy, for instance, mm-hmm. and they're just plowing ahead and they feel all the weight and the pressure of getting it done and, and keeping up statistically with the guy down the street mm-hmm. and those internal denominational expectations. And then he, he there, but subtly there's some things that begin to, to show up mm-hmm. and, and he wouldn't have been made aware of in some admin class, mm-hmm. whether in college or seminary, what are some identifying things that you would think would be important for someone to pay attention to? Uh, if you can't put your phone down, uh, if you if you cannot disconnect from information flow, whether it's email or texts or just research or reading <clears throat> or social media or whatever it might be, if you can't get farther than arm's distance away from your phone without feeling jittery, uh, then you're you know you're addicted, yeah. and uh, you, you've got to learn a cycle that's healthy for you. Uh, I hear a lot of people now talking about in the morning trying to set a buffer. Uh, from the time that they wake up to the time that they pick up their phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be tricky because I use my phone as my alarm clock. You know, right. So when it's going off, I see the notifications as soon as I lean over to turn my phone off. 
and something's catching my eye. So there is a there's a challenge. I mean, it takes for people like me who live in the world of information, and and a lot of us do. Uh, it takes a tremendous amount of self discipline to make a determination that I'm not going to look at my phone for X amount of time after I'm awake. So whether you're doing a quiet time or a prayer time or you go running or you just want to take your time and have breakfast without, you know, the world's worst news filling up your feed, that kind of thing, or spend some time with your spouse in the morning. I mean, you know, whatever it might be that you're making a determination that, that this, this device, this tool is not going to become a controlling factor for you. Another thing is if, uh, if you feel guilty for not responding to a person in a set amount of time. Uh, now, on our, on our staff, our pastor's trying to establish kind of a triage of communication. So if an email is sent and it's a group email, how much priority goes on that? If it's an, if it's an email to you, you know, what's the time frame that's legitimate to respond to that? If it's a text message, is that a different time frame? So we're trying to triage some of those communication tools to where everything's not, you know, DEFCON 5. Right. So that's helpful. Um, if your spouse keeps saying to you, you know, would you listen to me? Would you put that thing down? Would you close that computer? Would you stop watching this? Would you, can we have a conversation that's not interrupted by X? That's a pretty good indication that um, that you're overwhelmed, even if you don't feel like it, realize it, or want to admit it. Um, I do believe that genuine, I mean, the fact that you and I are sitting here is evidence that genuine friendships can be built over distance using tools. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I mean, you and I have only seen each other face-to-face a handful of times in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of our communication is text, email, and, and social media um, and periodic phone calls. Uh, and, and I've got other relationships that are that, and I'm sure you do too, where you you really believe that authentic relationships, and I really believe they are authentic mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. just as much as the guy who pastors down the street, uh, can be built through these tools, and these tools can support those relationships. But the reality is I don't need to be texting my wife if she's upstairs and I'm downstairs. Right. You know, I need to either, hey, can you know can you come down here, or are you up there, and do you have a minute I can come up and talk to you? Because we're in the same house, and we need to we need to be um, uh, there's a word um, proximal or proximate. We need to be beside each other. Uh, the time that a pastor and spouse need to be together is is way more than just in the bed at night. You know, uh, there needs to be an intentionality. Whether you're going out to eat, you know, once a week and or whatever, you know, a date night, however your terminology makes that happen. But just ongoing. Uh, there needs to be intentionality about being with people. Uh, that doesn't mean you're all together in the room texting somebody else. Now, you know, we do that. Sure. That's part of existing in the 21st century. It's going to be hard to ever get away from that model. But we do need to be intentional about being with people and when we're with them, being with them, right. not just in the room. Right. Yeah, you know, um, uh joking with Ryan Abernathy last night, you know, and and, Ooh, and, he, and he was talking about how difficult um, breaking away from his job. Now, he's bivocational mm-hmm. pastor, so he has a double kind of uh, plate mm-hmm. full that uh, whatever work emails he's got and then whatever church-related things. So he was describing, you know, how difficult it was to be somewhere where there wasn't at least some means of communication. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I actually am glad that when Patty and I go on vacation, we're actually in a place where uh, there's at least a period uh, where we spend our time. You can't get a phone call. Yeah. Um, fortunately, if there were an emergency, there's a means to get a hold of us. So one of the kids, something happens to the grandkids, we could get a text. Mm-hmm. And we could get a message relayed from where we're staying. Um, if we had to respond to something, we could drive up the road just a little bit and we've got service. But in this particular location, it's, uh, no, in, you know, we're incommunicado mm-hmm. and, and that, that initially that was pretty tough, Yeah, you know, getting used like to that. Detox. Oh, uh, it was, but, mm-hmm. but after a while, it's actually something I look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, I look forward to being at a place where, uh, I don't feel the impulse. Yeah. Um, because we're mean, not we're not actually native to social media. Exactly, I mean, you and I aren't native, so we sometimes feel the the inner urge to keep up. Mm. So 
guys well, it out? Look, it hasn't been that long since the results of a presidential election weren't known for days right. across the country. Right. Um, you know, the Pony Express had to take the letter from wherever, and it would go from town to town and spread, and the news would, you know, the election would take place, the, announce, the, the results would be announced or whatever in Washington, and and then it would filter across the land over the course of several days. It, right. it wasn't as if everybody was sitting around the radio waiting for the Lone Ranger to go off and so that the president could be announced. Right. That has not been that long ago. Uh, it hasn't been, it's been less time than that, obviously, since uh, the primary way that you would communicate was through writing someone a letter. Right. The reason that we know a lot of, as much about his, certain periods of history as we do and what certain people thought about things is from the letters that were collected mm-hmm. after they had died. It hasn't been that long ago. I mean, it's been less time than that, but it's, it still hasn't been that long ago that if you wanted to call across the country, you had to pay for a long-distance charge. Correct. And many of those spots were very small. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta, and 404 was one of the largest, uh, what do they call it, local calling areas mm-hmm. in the country. You could call from the south side of Atlanta to the north side of Atlanta, like like 60 miles or 70 miles. And it was still local calling. And I would go out, you know, out of state and people would be like, how in the world can you do that? You know, we, we have to pay long distance charges to call the next county or whatever. Not quite that bad, but it was a lot smaller calling area. Well, then when cell phones came up, it was like, what happened to long distance? Well, it went away. You know, now you can move eight states away and not even change your phone number if you don't want to. Right. You, so you got people in the same church with 14 different area codes. Right. So it is, it's a different... It's a different day, and, and we can live without the immediacy of communication. We just have to relearn how to do that. Yeah. You know, when you talked about uh, looking for that word proximal or proximate, you know, I, I always go back to uh, the, the little book Search to Belong by my friend Joe Myers, and he uh, utilized a study on proximics mm-hmm. and relationships at which, you know, an, an ever-diminishing circle – uh, or a sphere of, of relationships gets you down to that place where you were talking about mm-hmm. with your spouse, for instance. Uh, you got to have that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, human beings, uh, when you get down to that particular level where you're trying to be honest and, uh, you know, uh, um, willing to receive criticism or feedback on something that's very serious, you know, we're only wired for one, maybe two of those kind of relationships. And to avoid those and to not nurture those, mm-hmm buy time away from all of that is actually say, again, I don't need any of that, right. which then actually I think is trying to be something different than human uh, because I think human beings do need that. You know, your, um, uh, your, your third thing that you said that was uh, one of the top five was uh, preaching like Jesus did. And, and I, I, I was thinking that as you were kind of describing that and that that being kind of a, a really popular post, what do you think is at the heart or root of that? I mean, you know, um, you preached yesterday at at Snow Hill here, and there is a particular format that was on display. Mm. And in two weeks, we'll have uh, Jason Michelli preach, mm-hmm. and that particular format will be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be where we evaluate and say one is better than another uh, or one style is preferred over another, but they're very different. So when someone feels the urge to do a search mm-hmm. on how to preach like Jesus did, what do you think really is ca- being called out of that? For? Yeah, that's what, that's what a great for? question, and I probably should read the article to find out <laughs> if they're if they're getting the answer they're looking for. Because I, I really don't think that it's a and and I probably butchered that title too. So I, I just let me say that to anybody who goes looking for that particular thing, uh, I don't even know what the search terms are they're using that's leading to that particular article. <clears throat> I really don't think they're looking for was Jesus sitting or standing? Was he on a rock? You know, or on the ground? Right. You know, did the did he stand in the boat or sit in the boat or stand on the seat in the boat? I mean, I don't think they're looking for for that kind of thing. I think they're looking more for content. How, how did he present the content that he presented? Um, did, what kind of illustrations did he use? What kind of stories did he tell? And why did he tell stories? So I think all of those things are extraordinarily important, and they're very informative because if we do go back, obviously if we go back to look at Christ, we know that he 
did teach many times sitting. Uh, he didn't allow physical limitations to limit him. He got in a boat and pushed off the shore. Uh, he recognized his audience in every case that he ever opened his mouth. Uh, so sometimes he used stories, uh, which we call parables. At other times, he referred to the Old Testament more. And at other times, he just let them have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that people want to, uh, maybe there's a desire in a pastor, maybe this is after a certain amount of time, uh, to make sure that they're communicating in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And so what better way than to go study the guy? We've been looking at his words for 2,000 years now. Right. Um, and, and to see if there's any, you know, do I have a gap in, in the way that I'm presenting the sermon? Do I have a gap in the way that I'm communicating this, the truth of Scripture? Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's a good question. And I would like to think that people are looking for it to either confirm that they're uh, that they're doing a good job in communicating or that they want to uh, they want to look they, they're doing a self-correction mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not missing something uh, I mean I could see a person who preaches for you know two months and they just feel like they're just not getting it right. you know they just feel like it's just not getting across um, saying I, I just need to figure out what Jesus did yeah I don't I, I would I would a couple of assumptions I would draw. Again, I, I have not read the article either. I'll, I'll look for it. Um, but I, I think, too, that, that you've hit on a, a, an important point, that um, oftentimes it's not so much that a pastor is um, looking around in the dark for um, what to say. Um, but I'm wondering that in our... Um, Age is too broad a term, but in the time period, say the last um, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the emphasis on a response to what you say on Sunday. Right. Um, and then you look back and you, you see what's been recorded in the Gospels, and frankly, what we get recorded are those moments where it seems that the response has been very great. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know there's an instance where their response was horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he picked up and left, didn't, didn't return. And uh, we can talk sociologically about that being his hometown and, and what all went into that. But it still indicated that there was a situation where the response wasn't, and they brought everyone to Jesus, mm-hmm. or they hung on every word, or they went away. And, With uh, great rejoicing. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so you get a young person or, or a pastor who's been at it a long time in one place um, being somewhat concerned that, you know, it seems like maybe no one's listening like they used to or what what is it. And so mm-hmm. that may prompt that because we're looking at the responsiveness, the, mm-hmm. the visible responsiveness. We've, we've also treaded over a period of time where the way we handle response is different. And some of that's theological. Mm-hmm. Some of that is we've, we have a great fear of the art of manipulation and, and how rhetoric works. And, and um, when we look out at congregations and we see decisional moments where people have publicly made some sort of confessional move mm-hmm. and then to find out a relatively short amount of time, it seems to have not really mattered a whole right, lot. There's right. The transformative kind of evidence is, is lacking. So we then think, well, what is it that? So we're fearful of did we manipulate somebody mm-hmm. to make a decision that they really weren't really committed to? And, and I think those are some theological mm-hmm. questions that, that arise there. I think the other thing that, that came to mind when you were, were saying that is in, in keeping with your um, observation about uh, communication trends, um, things don't always communicate like the pastor I grew up with sure. in, the, in the you know late sixties or right. seventies that I remember being you know the guy that I listened to a lot and and uh, if you're trained and steeped observing somebody and then some you, you face a monumental shift mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about the use of you know slides or video visuals right, right. And, and I confess that I'm just not good at that. Mm-hmm. I, that wasn't, I didn't see that. I didn't observe that. Only at maybe a conference or somewhere. Even when I would go to friends' churches or other places, there, there, that was not in right. vogue. It wasn't used. And now it's almost like, like you must be a dinosaur if you don't know how to use you know, that. You know? And so I think a lot of those are in play that, mm-hmm. that create this, 
I think for a minister, for a pastor, uh, create this kind of significant inner tensions. Yeah. Uh, because we all really feel like the message that we have is vitally important. Yeah. And we don't want to get in the way of it. I think that, uh, that that's a great point. And <clears throat> it's a challenge that, that I had to deal with about uh, maybe 12 or 15 years ago. I was in my last full-time pastorate and had been there for several years. And some people who I had known as a teenager, uh, and they were a little younger than me, had moved up into the area, found out that I was pastoring, and had started coming to our church. Well, after about, I don't know, a month or two, uh, one of them came and said, man, I just, I really enjoy, you know, the service. I really enjoy your preaching. You preach just like, and he called the name of the pastor that we had both grown up under. And I took that as a tremendous compliment at first, and sure. he meant it only as a compliment because mm-hmm. we both held this man in super high regard. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm not him. Right. Then why am I preaching just like him? Well, it, for, first, it was not intentional. There was nothing about my movements or the way that I used my hands or my vocal intonations. There was nothing about that that I was intentionally trying to mimic him. Mm-hmm. So, sermon structure, nothing was I trying to mimic him? But he, I'd watched him preach so much, and I'd heard him preach so much, and he was so influential that it was second nature that when I started preaching regularly mm-hmm. that his mannerisms, everything about him came through me. <clears throat> and so that kind of set me on a, on a quest to figure out who am I in the pulpit? Right. You know, who am I supposed to be? I, I'm not him, right. so I'm not supposed to be him. And so uh, a thing that my mom had told me years ago when I was a very young preacher boy, uh, I made a statement in her presence that was something like, you know, I want to be the next Adrian Rogers or I want to be the next D.L. Moody. I mean, things you say when you're sure. you know, called into ministry. Sure. And, and she just said, Marty, God doesn't want another Adrian Rogers. He wants a Marty Duran. Yeah. That's what he yeah. wants. That's why he called you. Yeah. And I've never forgotten that. She never, mm-hmm. I, she's never said it again. She said it one time. All right. And it stuck with me. And so when I found out that I was kind of subconsciously channeling somebody else, I set out to figure out who I needed to be in the pulpit. And so that led to a substantial change in in almost everything about my approach. Um, I mean, I didn't jettison, you know, expository preaching or trying to be exegetical. Um, I still try to get the meaning of the words and communicate that, but I, I stopped feeling guilty if I wasn't preaching through a book of the Bible at a given point in time. Right. Stopped feeling guilty if I wasn't going word by word yep. in every single sermon. Sure. Um, stopped feeling guilty for, or st- just stopped screaming my head off mm-hmm. when I was when I was preaching, mm-hmm. um, and started much more focusing on. Uh, and I do this even till today, uh, body language and people who are listening, eye contact with people who are listening. Are they awake? Are they focused? If I move on the stage, are people turning their head or are they distracted by something else? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things are ways to let you know you're communicating. Right. Not that you're the best preacher in the world. Sure. Not that you're, you know, that glory's going to come down and, you're going to have this massive revival at the end of the service. A halo like Moses. A halo. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the glow. I have not ever noticed my face glowing, and nobody <laughs> has certainly hidden theirs in my presence. Um, but it does give me the opportunity on as I'm preaching to, to notice whether there's some... Uh, whether any communication is going on or whether I'm just talking, right. which is a whole other discussion we could sure, have. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I think maybe for other guys, they're evaluating some of it is style, not content so much. But I do think that, that sometimes they're evaluating, if I haven't changed the way that I've preached for 20 years... And in today's culture, and I think we really need to think about this, the average person that sits in our churches on a Sunday morning, the most focused attention that they pay in a week is during that sermon. Right. Nothing else. Now, you say, well, yeah, but they watch the news for an hour, but they're not watching the same thing for an hour. They're watching 50 news stories during that hour. Right. And a whole bunch of different people giving it to them, too. Sure. Uh, So... 
and that's that's realistic because they're not wired anymore to sit for half an hour or four, and twenty minutes. So so every Sunday we're not just we're not just trying to preach. We're not just trying to teach God's word. We're in the active process of re, rewiring people every Sunday morning to keep them in a communicative mode for thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. where that we don't lose them before that thirty minutes is right. up or whatever. So. Uh, I think there's a tremendous challenge in being a good Bible communicator in this day and age, but it can be done, and it can be done in different different contexts. Yeah, yeah, I I, I appreciate your your uh, reflection on something your mom said to mm-hmm. you because I think if we were going to say something to a, a young minister, that would probably be a pretty valuable thing. Oh, I remember absolutely. the most influential um, book on preaching that I read was in college, mm-hmm. and uh, I always return to it when I'm talking to a young person um, when they, how do I do this or what does that look like? And I just, I read Phillips Brooks on preaching and he just said, you know, he had a line, truth is, uh, see, preaching is truth conveyed through personality. Yep, I know and, that uh, and I thought. That's freeing. It is, it is incredibly yep. freeing. I, I know that, I, I know that also, it is also, um, uh, can be, Imprisoning, mm-hmm. and for this reason, um, I know that my preaching style and program of preaching has changed at the same church after twenty three years. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, you know, the, the first uh, period of time where it was through a book, through a chapter, verse by verse. Don't ever recall it was word by word, but right. that was it. That was the program. And and honestly, I have to say that that. Um, you know, I, I follow uh, my mentor, mm-hmm. and um, one thing that that did that people don't understand is pastoring calls uh, a lot of different skill sets out of you. So you're not sitting all day long thinking about, you know, the, pre- exactly. the preaching. And so when you know people do it different, uh, and I, and I get that they do it different, but but for me, with all of that, you're trying to uh, take care of mm-hmm. in congregational life. Knowing what you're going to preach Sunday is important. Yep. And so, if you're preaching through a book, you know what's coming next. Exactly. So, so the lay folks don't often understand program of preaching, mm-hmm. but that became a really simple program of preaching. It didn't take a lot of work to know that Romans two comes after Romans I was, one. I was just you about know? to say preaching through Romans makes you know? it easy. And so, when when that happens, it, 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 you, you develop a customary expectation mm-hmm. that this is what you're going to do. Well, we made a shift a conscious shift in our program of preaching. We did not shift to a uh, what's the wind blowing today mm-hmm. or what idea do you have, but we, we began looking at the Christian calendar. Well, that alters mm-hmm. uh, the thinking and the expectation of even those who've been with you for all those 23 yeah, years. Absolutely. And at some point along the way, the imprisoned thing is, is you're not allowed to break out of that. Something's changed. Something's different. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even then, when we start making uh, over long tenured uh, past pastors, where you you begin discovering that the response is different. You know, I mean, Marty, you you obviously remember that that uh, average church attendance used to be gauged on three out of four Sundays a month. Right now, we're pretty happy if we get two or one out of four. Yep. So, uh, responsiveness is an entirely different mm-hmm. dynamic, and. If expectation had been where responsiveness had been seen really regularly and frequently Mm -hmm. in, say, the first half of your time, and now it's not, it's like, well, you're doing something wrong. You're not including something. And so you can become imprisoned by your own style. And then if you change it, then that can actually create some some problems, and 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 I, I I don't say that to say that people become the problem, but now you're back to how did Jesus do that? Mm-hmm. Is there some element that maybe you need to call back to and either rediscover or or kind of think through? Mm-hmm. And 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 so I think that those have been some things that, as I was hearing you kind of. Um, respond to that i think that really are the the places at which i think a pastor ought to there's a you mentioned responsiveness and i know you weren't talking exactly about this but as you were talking uh, i was thinking about one of the things about responsiveness that we used to gauge a good sermon on was how many amens you got yes so if there were a lot of amens then you really knew you were clicking on all cylinders at least you felt like you were (laughs) right you actually were not right like you were Right. Amen well, could have been hurry up and get over with that's it. You know? that's exactly right. <laughs> Amen. Oh, for uh, now you can preach two or three, four Sundays 
and not hear an audible amen. Yeah, that's right. Now, so is that your metric? You know, is it the Correct. pastor's conference metric, which Correct. is to get a pause or a bunch of amens or to rile up the crowd uh, every Sunday? Is that the metric? Well, I don't think that can be the metric. No. I think a much healthier metric, and I could be wrong, and maybe I'm projecting a little bit onto this, but I think a much healthier metric is over the course of time, do people come back and say, I remembered you said in that sermon, mm-hmm. and God brought that to mind, and it, it got me through. Mm-hmm. It's it's the application after the fact mm-hmm. that's really a metric, not if you felt like you hit a home run during the sermon. A buddy of mine, I think you know his name anyway, Scott Slayton, put on mm-hmm. yeah. Twitter yesterday, <clears throat> apparently after the morning message, uh, I struck out in slow-pitch softball once, and that's kind of what it felt like after the sermon this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you've preached more than about 15 times in your life, you have felt that oh, way. Yeah. Uh, but but there is a, uh, I think we have to be careful that we don't gauge uh, effectiveness, for lack of a better term, and I hate to just bring that straight from the business world, but, sure. but it, there's an effectiveness communication. But I, I hope we don't place it on the amount of amens or attaboys or great sermons. There's... You know, your mama's going to tell you a great sermon if you don't get a word out of your mouth. Right. And there's going to be the people in the church that tell you a great sermon, and they don't even know what you said. You right. know what I mean? Right. So the, the amount of are we getting there, I think, is at least one measure of that. Maybe not the, but one measure of that is do people come back right. and recall what you've said mm-hmm. so that you know it's been woven into their life? I right. think then you know. I don't care how it felt when I preached it. God used it. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, reading Bruce McKeever's little book, Stories I Couldn't Tell While I Was a Pastor. <laughs> I think all of us ought to write one of those, yeah. you know, whether we publish it or not, you know. But I remember him talking about feeling like he'd laid an egg, you know. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he, he, was, he was preaching uh, uh, on uh, Palm Sunday, and he was preaching out of the King James down in Dallas. And, uh, you know, the King James, you know, Jesus... Uh, when he was riding the donkey in the old King James, it was his ass, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, he said, man, I labored through this sermon, and I felt like, man, it just I wasn't making connections. So so I thought, well, I'm going to give it one last hoorah, you know? <laughs> and he steps back from the pulpit, and in his in his most intense, emotive moment, he he comes to that passage, and, and he you know, said, in, in Jesus, you know, he got off his ass, and people, that's what we need to do. We need to get off our ass. And it dawned on him what he said, and he said, I couldn't get out the side door fast enough. I didn't want to see anybody. And, I, he, and he said, someone caught him and said, you know, Pastor, there are days where none of us have it, you know, and, and I, I think that I, I you know, I, I think about that because there, there really is, there, there really is people, I don't think, you know, the average person doesn't really kind of capture the, the depth at which we hold s- scrutiny over ourselves mm-hmm. for did we, c- did it click? Oh, it, it's, it, it's we are, we are asking sometimes. whether or not was it the best sermon anyone's ever heard, but did we connect? Mm-hmm. Did we click? It, mm-hmm. Did it make sense? And and I I admit sometimes facing a text that can be somewhat difficult, hoping that, and I'll even say it, you know, if I don't communicate clearly, here is really what's going on mm-hmm. here. And so, if you go back and you think, what in the world? Come back to the beginning and know this really is what we think is important. But what mm-hmm. we're trying to do is communicate on a level that connects with what's going on. That becomes kind of, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> a very difficult piece, um, and because it is it is. You know, you hate, you hate saying this, but it is a it is somewhat of a dramatic presentation. It is, and in fact, I had a pastor, uh, the pastor I referenced before, that had such an influence on me. <clears throat> he used to tell us young preacher guys, "Don't go to a Bible college and get a Bible degree. Get your Bible in seminary." And so, yeah. well, what do we need to major in? You need to major in either English or history and minor in drama. Yeah, that's what yeah. he told us. Yeah, I never knew. I mean, I kind of knew because he was kind of dramatic, not like. R.G. Lee dramatic, but sure. he was kind of dramatic. But there is a, in in the middle of the passion is drama. In the middle of the story is drama. Right. And there's a, uh, there's a power in reading the scripture with the right inflections. There's mm-hmm. a power in speaking and emphasizing the right things. And, and at the right moment, you know, uh, emoting in a way that you didn't 15 minutes before sure. in the sermon. And a lot of that can be, and gosh, it sounds, it almost sounds awful to say it can be taught, 
but as a as a speaker, you're responsible to communicate the message, right? And so sometimes talking, sometimes being a little louder, sometimes being a little softer, sometimes your facial expression needs to go with what you're saying rather than just being pasty face, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm right there with you. There, there's a tremendous amount of emotion and drama inside the one who's speaking. Yeah. That, and I think you know. That's why I'm exhausted every time I preach, and most oh, yeah. guys are. Oh yeah, you know, I I, I think of I think of uh, when you you know when you mention that I think of Joe Thorne's little book, uh, you know, where he describes preaching to himself, mm-hmm. you know, as as it I, that is a dynamic at work. I mean, when you you know if you can't give MacArthur's forty hours, in, for instance, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, uh, if you're pastoring the average person, yeah, the pastors, yeah. that's that's just an unattainable amount of hours. Unless you, you just mean don't, you don't have a unless you don't sleep, does all your research yeah, for unless, unless you just don't sleep, you know. <laughs> um, but it, but uh, you know, I was helped by um, a, a little book called Countdown to Sunday, mm. and uh, um, when when kind of making one of those personal kinds of how are we communicating and, and is there another way to kind of engage the text where you're taking account of what's going on around you? And uh, the guy did a fantastic job. And so if you're living with a text all week long, um, or if you know you're coming to Oklahoma and you got a couple of weeks, right. there's something something going on in you about you that, right. that's 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 connecting. So we, we really don't, most of us, I think, really don't kind of think... What, got to, what do I say to them? Mm-hmm. We find out the text is first saying something to us. Mm-hmm. And until it does, until it captures our imagination uh, and, uh, and the new world that it creates for us in mm-hmm. us, it's very difficult to communicate right. um, that to, to somebody else. It, it's like talking about something you don't know anything about, and people can pick that up. And know? I think that goes back to the when you feel like you whiff. It's because during the week you didn't feel like it did anything inside of you. Ah, uh, good point. You, you don't really feel like you have the thing to communicate. Yeah. So you're in. I mean, you feel like you're doing a lecture. And yes. for me, when I'm in, when I get to that, I, I cannot get out of there fast enough. Not fast I want to get to the end. That's exactly right. Get to point number two. I'm hungry too. Hey, I'll see y'all. You know, during the week. Exactly. God bless you. God yeah. loves you. And yeah. Read your Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, you know, um, one of the th- one of the features that um, uh, kind of maybe to wind it up, one of the features that you uh, you do, you do, there are two things. Um, one, you um, provide space for book reviews, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I think that's a helpful thing for for people. And so I'm glad you you do that. And I'm, I've been privileged to write a couple of those, you know, and and I think they're really good. Um, no, I should say that I think the reviews are really good. I don't know that mine are really good, but uh, it, but good. but I think what we what, what we really ought to do is is let people know because one of the things that, that helped me was what's somebody else reading, mm-hmm. and you, that's a second feature. You know, you you just put out an email about you know what are you reading and why, and I, I you really press me. To, I know what I'm reading, and I know I know kind of. Uh, intuitively why I'm reading that book, but putting it out there to say, why am I? I have to really think, well, how would I communicate that right. to somebody why I'm reading that particular book? And uh, and I think that's always helpful for we pastors because it's is, is I, the one thing that I remember is uh, when I when I left uh, seminary the first time after my MDiv and then I went back to, to D-Man, the thing that bothered me the most was to be out in the middle of literally nowhere. Mm-hmm. And this was pre-internet days. Mm-hmm. And not to have any means to know what are people reading. What's, what's out there? Because uh, unless you think you're getting all your education and the minute you get that sheepskin, you're done. Yeah. You really do have kind of a hunger to go, well, okay, I learned some things that I didn't, didn't know were available. How do I keep right. learning that? Well, fortunately, now we do have the internet mm-hmm. as a great tool and resource. And, um, I mean, I, I called back to contact the DMIN office at Southwestern, and I said, hey, could you create a subscription where we would pay annually for all the reading lists, for all the seminars over the course of a year? We want to know what's current, right. what, what's out there. I think it was probably going to be a clerical nightmare yeah. for somebody yeah. at the time. I don't think even the tools then in the early 90s were available such that someone had thought, how could I make an app out of that and you know right. provide that? But I think that's another great resource that, that uh, folks ought to look for on the, on the website. Well, I think it's um, – <clears throat> I try to get people from all across the spectrum. I don't mean religious spectrum like, you know, hey, here's your Mormon of the week. Right. Uh, these are all believers. Right. 
uh, as far as I know. Some may not be. I'm, I'm not opposed to having an unbeliever's viewpoint, uh, so I don't seek it, but it may be there. Uh, but I, even then, I think it's important because people in our pews are reading what, generally speaking, the same business books, the same popular books, the same New York Times bestsellers, the same perennial bestsellers uh, that everybody else is reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the other hand, you know, leaders are always looking for something that's, if not fresh, at least uh, a new author uh, that's being read. Then there's always the overlooked book that people have just missed. So, uh, you know, I, I usually get Dr. Rayner's recommendation two or three times a year. Uh, usually one of the other BPs at Lifeway two or three times a year. I always try to include at least one or two pastors. And then people who are just not in that world, so a writer or a teacher or a, like... Well, you uh, had the governor, right? The governor of Tennessee responded to my request this month, and he was reading a book on, uh, believe it or not, on politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's an insight, uh, yeah. what leaders are reading. Then one year or uh, one month was a real estate agent friend of mine. So um, it's not just what's good for a pastor or a church leader to read to grow. It's also what's good for a pastor or church leader to read, to be aware of what's out there. Sure. So, um, you know, I think one of somebody's books this month, I don't remember if it was yours, was Hillbilly Elegy, I think. Mm. And, uh, I mentioned that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been one of the ones before. Uh, uh, I know when I read it, I didn't read it because I felt like I was a hillbilly. I read it because it was on the New York Times bestseller list, right. and I knew a lot of people were reading it. Right. It was going to be the subject of conversation, so I thought I probably need to read this book. Right. Um, so I think that's a good, it's not one of our highest read type ongoing things, but there are people who look for it every month. Right. And it's for that very reason they want to know what other people are reading. Well, and I, the reason I point out those two things is those are quick things. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if someone were to put it in, you know, make themselves a note, I don't know how you schedule your day or your month and what you, when you're looking for what you're looking mm-hmm. for, but you know, you're not asked for a 30 minute long uh, article to, to you know work through and chase down links. Right. You're looking for something that's that can be pretty quick, that's really pertinent, it's really helpful, mm-hmm. a, a quick hitting sort of resource. And I think sometimes pastors really need those yeah. because often, I mean, sometimes even in our uh, interactions in our little text group, we'll, we'll get the, some of those articles get to be pretty long. Yeah, and it's like I'll come back to that because <laughs> I, they hit me at a particular moment. But I don't have them out right. right then. And and I think we're always looking for what what something because uh, I know I'm going to need something mm-hmm. to look for and and I think anytime we can find a resource that's that's it's pretty quick mm-hmm. that's succinct is is pretty helpful as busy as we can be. Yeah, and and so the two things you mentioned are reviews, which are they are not even long. So it's not like Books and Culture, right. New York Times, you know, review of books. These are like. Here's a kind of a 300-word summary of what the book is about, and then here's a 200-word summary of how, how it would help you in ministry and then a recommendation. And then the who's reading what feature doesn't even have a review. Right. It's only the name, the author, the genre, and why the reader is reading that particular book. Because to me, that helps me decide, is this something that's going to help? I don't have to read the review. If you say, I'm reading this because at this station in my life, this is you know going to address this, this, and this. And if I'm at that station in life, then I need, you know, that's helping. Hey, I need to buy that. Or, no, that doesn't apply. I'm moving to the next thing. Right. So um, I enjoy it. I, I th- it's one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is compiling those lists. Yeah. It's like pulling teeth sometimes. Sure. But I, I do I'm enjoy sorry. it. No, it's yeah. not just you. Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy it. It's always eye-opening, uh, especially the why. Yeah. Why I'm reading this particular book is always enlightening to me. Yeah, and I think it helps cull, too. You mm-hmm. know, so so you, you don't really have to. If it doesn't hit you, there's no guilt in not getting right. it, you know. But it, but it does help you cull. And if, if you get, you know, a trigger word mm-hmm. or, or something that happens to signal something that uh, you know, brought to mind, oh, I've been thinking about right. that or here's a resource for that, then that, that becomes really a quick yeah. hitting. And I, I think that's pretty helpful. Exactly. Well, is there anything else, Marty, that you would, uh, uh, you know, want to suggest, want to say about uh, Lifeway Pastors or anything else related to pastoring? And well, if, you're, uh, if you hadn't remembered the website, it's lifewaypastors.com, and uh, you can subscribe to our email list. It's on the right. And if you like free stuff, there's uh, $150 worth of digital uh, resources at Word Search that you get if you sign up for our email blast. Uh, it's usually once a day, it's so you don't get an email every time something comes out. You know, during the day, 
Each day's email will have what came out that day. And it's usually one or two articles. And even there, there's an excerpt that lets you know whether that's an article you got time for for that day. Otherwise, just delete the email, move on. So no cost to any of that. I was just going to say, uh, and, and this will be, <clears throat> I think, my final thing. One of the things that has encouraged me the most about doing this job is, you know, if you go to Catalyst or you go to Exponential or you go to some nationwide thing, <clears throat> and I'm not putting any of those down, you know, there's a, there's a rotation of people you tend to hear, and most of them are extremely good at communicating either, you know, their vision, their philosophy, their experience. <clears throat> and a lot of them I love to hear. But what I found out doing this job is there are a lot of guys you will never hear of. Mm -hmm. They won't even speak at their associational evangelism night. Right. That are getting, leading their churches in ministry just as effectively, just as God-honoring, just as kingdom-oriented as anybody that you will hear on any stage, anywhere, anytime. Um, You know, we've got, if we mentioned church planting, two or three names would rise to the top of the list. Yet I can take you to a group of guys in uh, outside of Phoenix who are who started with one church and decided that they were going to do a church planting movement, and they didn't wait till they got to 5,000 people. They've started, they're planting churches, they're multiplying churches when they hit 100 people or 125 people. I mean, they're, now they're in a highly populated area, so this is not like they're going out across country. Sure. But... They're doing church planning as a movement, and nobody knows these guys. Yeah. Um, you just took me on a tour of Snow Hill, and, and you know, if, if, if somebody's talking about, hey, give me the names of some churches that are doing great community ministry and, you know, have medical and, and uh, you know, you can get your blood pressure done and get your teeth pulled and get free food and all this kind of stuff, outside of Tuttle, Oklahoma, nobody knows Snow Hill yeah. churches doing right. that. Right. But it's extensive and it's ongoing and it's very, very effective. And so, you know, I mentioned to you the other day, uh, buddy of mine, that Josh Presley's pastoring in Caribou, Maine, mm-hmm. in a church that was started in the 40s or the 50s by Air Force people. Um, you know, it's one of those areas where you can go and live for 30 years and you're still not from there. You know, you're still <laughs> right. an interloper. Right. Um, but his wife is from there. They moved back to do some family care got involved in the church there, and, and they're staying, and they're planting, and they're seeing some great stuff. I mean, dude, that it's 15 minutes from Canada. Nobody's going to go to a conference in Caribou, Maine, to hear Josh Presley talk about community ministry. Right. But they're doing community ministry. Right. And so one of the very encouraging things has been that there are churches and pastors all over the place. And I won't say, I won't say in America, but that's where most of our people are. Sure, um, But that are doing real God-honoring, kingdom-oriented, biblically sound ministry and touching people's lives, and you'll never know their name. Yeah, and I think it probably bears, uh, you know, pointing out that LifeWay's reach is beyond its own denominational mm-hmm. context. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the website and the materials available there aren't targeting a particular denominational that's group. Correct. And I think that's that's an, a, a, an advantage because sometimes, you know, if people know, you know, uh, a Baptist minister mm-hmm. got on a podcast, immediately they're going to think we're touting a, uh, you know, um, a resource that's right. denominationally uh, contextualized. <laughs> and that's, that's not the case. Right. LifeWay made a decision years ago to um, offer its resources broadly mm-hmm. and to uh, have a have a, a, a posture uh, of openness mm-hmm. to those who are doing that kind of work and uh, and I'm, I'm really grateful yeah. that, that that's the case it, it, it's not kind of hey we're doing it better because we're Baptist but it's hey look at what's going on mm-hmm. in, in in America or even around the world that, that uh, is being uh, faithful representation of uh, the work of God mm-hmm. and the gospel in the world so Martin, I want to say thanks man thank you my pleasure We'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. All right. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening and uh, let you know that I'm, I'm hoping to have a podcast uh, interview with Carl Raschke. Just finished his book, Postmodern Theology, a biopic. I've also been working through his book, uh, The Next Reformation, and has spent some time in his little book, The Globo Christ. And um, I'll kind of explain a little bit, uh, maybe the value, uh, the important insight that uh, Carl brings uh, to uh, current uh, 
theology as well as ecclesiology and the intersection of uh, some of the contemporary continental philosophy that's been uh, influential. Uh, so I uh, hope you look forward to that. And until then, it's been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Thanks for listening. Peace.